Good morning. And how are you today? Good. It's great. I want to talk to you for the next two hours about the Good Shepherd, okay? Now, you think, Mark, that is, now, we could talk about that even longer, but today we're in the book of John again in the Gospel of John, today, chapter 10. So get out your devices in your Bible and turn there if you don't mind. And so also, it'll be on the screen, it's in, uh, it's in version also on your devices. But we will start in chapter 9, verse 35, and then the first 16 verses of that of chapter 10. So I want to talk to you about the Good Shepherd. It's such a powerful topic that we find in the book of John. And, and so when we begin to read this as we start in chapter 9 first, you know, I don't know if you've ever had that moment in life where you're looking for something and it's right before your eyes and you just can't see it. I don't know if you've ever had that moment. You know, I think sometimes it's really... For me, I've always thought it's kind of a man thing, you know, that that uh, my Reba will send me to the refrigerator to get something while she's cooking, and I'll go, and I and I open the door, and all of a sudden, it's like a, a vast, uh, uh, you know, land, like the Arctic, and I can't see anything. I'm blinded, right? And she says, it's right there on the shelf, and, and so I'm looking, and as I'm looking, I can't find it. She tells me, it's again on the shelf right in front of me, what's wrong with you? And, and I'm looking, and all of a sudden, my anxiety begins to rise and my anxiety begins to rise because I know that she's going to walk over there and put her hand directly on it, right? Yes. And, and, and she looks at me like, what is wrong with you? And she does that. She walks over and she kind of scoots me out of the way. And then she reaches in, grabs whatever she's needing, closes the door and looks at me and says, such a man, you know, kind of thing, right? Yes. Yes, because it's right there in front of my eyes and I can't see it. Well, when we begin to look at chapters nine and 10, that we know Contextually, they're really one chapter. There's no bridge between 9 and 10. They run together, the, the, those that put together our current canon and the chapters in Scripture. Well, they chose to divide them, but there's really no bridge between them. That it's about that thing that's right in front of you, but you just can't see it. It's, it's about that of who God is and that of how he works in our life. And it's so blatant and so right in front of us at times in our life that we just can't see it. So let me give you a little background for a moment as we go into this teaching. Not two hours, so don't get nervous, okay? Understand that. But yet, it, chapter 9, well, here's what chapter 9 is about. It's about, well, it's about Jesus healing a man who has been blind from birth. And so this discussion begins about this man's blindness among what the text calls his neighbors. And so they have this discussion about why he is blind. And some say, well, he's blind because of the sin of his parents. And others say, well, he's blind because of his own sin in life. Then Jesus makes a statement to all of them that has been a point of conversation for centuries now. And he says this to that group of people. It's not that this man has sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed through him. That's difficult for us to swallow at times in our life. It is that life, both good and bad, is about the glory of God. And, and the Father is being made known through the life of the Son. That's what we've talked about from the very beginning now through the Gospel of John. And so God is sovereign and all of life is lived through his hands. Boy, that's tough to swallow at sometimes also. And you would think that, well, this man has been healed. You know, they've observed this man from his, uh, from his infancy, maybe, many of them, that he was born blind. And, and so all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he heals him. He spits in the dirt. He makes a little mud. He applies it to his eyes. And then, boom, he is healed. And, and so you would think, well, they're astounded at this. Well, they are. But they're not sure that, well, they're not sure of his identity. They're not sure he's the guy that they used to pass by, this blind man born, uh, born he's blind from birth. And so what they do is this. They grab him, his parents, and they take him to the Pharisees to kind of confirm who he is. And so he begins his story. They say, tell your story. I'm paraphrasing for a moment till we get to verse 35. And they say, okay, tell us your story. And then he says, well, there's this man. He spits in the dirt. He makes some mud. He applies it to my eyes. He, goes to, to, he tells me to go at the wash at the pool of Siloam. And then I'm healed. Yes. And then there's this great celebration that happens and a party is thrown for him. No, that's not what happens. That's not it. Because the problem is this with the Pharisees, that Jesus spits in the ground. He makes mud and he heals on the Sabbath. Yeah. But that's not really the reason because their heart is not about keeping the law. That the Pharisees are spiritually blind. It's that, that something is so blatant right in front of them, but they can't see the truth of what is right before them. So they're questioning 
they're, they're, you have these spiritually blind people questioning this man who was once physically blind, but he's now healed by Jesus to reveal the works of God. And so they even ask him, hey, do you think this man is a sinner talking about Jesus? And he says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I once was blind, but basically now I see. And so what happens after that? Well, the Pharisees accept his story, and then they have a big party. That's not it at all. You know what they do? They cast him out of the synagogue. They revoke his church membership is exactly what they do. And then Jesus hears about this, and so Jesus comes and finds him again. So it's John chapter 9, verse 35. It says this, that Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, so this tells us already, that he really never knew who Jesus was. He says, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, And this is a text that, boy, we, when we read this, it's going to cause a little conflict in our life. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. For judgment I came into this world. Now, not condemnation, but judgment. We'll talk about that in a moment. That those who do not do that, those who do not see may see. Talking about physical and spiritual blindness, but mainly about spiritual blindness. And those who see may become blind. I thought when I read that, what does that mean? That Jesus has come to blind people that already see. That's not what this is about. It's about those that are blind to who God is and the working of God in their life. Verse forty. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said unto him. Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt or sin. But now that you say, We see your sin or your guilt remains. He's talking about spiritual blindness. It's a willful blindness to the truth of who God is and that of how God works with all of our lives. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Can I tell you, God has a plan it's rarely ours. Did you know that? I don't know if you're aware of that or not. In life, if you've lived you know, any amount of time, you realize that God has a plan. Yes, he does. But it's rarely our plan. So what does God do? Does God just kind of let us flounder around in life on our own and find our own way? And that's not the truth at all. That's not the truth. Because what he says is that he comes for judgment I came into the world. And when we read that statement, man, we have this kind of, we have this imagination, this picture of God this six-pound, three-ounce baby Jesus, you know, he came in the manger. The blue hue of light is all around him. He's surrounded by all of these wonderful, docile farm animals. There are shepherds there also, Mary and Joseph, in this beautiful scene. And, and that is the kind of picture that we have of him. But here it says that he came to judge. Wow. He came to judge. So how does that happen? We touched on this for a moment last week. As we talked from chapter 8 about the woman called in the act of adultery. So how does God judge us? Yes. How does that happen? I'm not talking about condemnation. But how does God judge us? And so here's what we said last week. But can I talk about it for a little longer this morning? Thank you. I will. And here's what he says. Yes. Here's what happens. That Jesus reveals the truth to us. Is exactly what it does. This is what this is about. They're blinded. They're willfully blind to the truth. He reveals the truth to us. Why? Because we can't see the truth. Because we are blind to the truth at times in our life. Listen. Self-deception. Self-deception is the most deceptive of all deceptions. Because we don't know that we have been deceived. I tried to put the word deception as many forms as I could in that one sentence. I, I really did. And I want to say it again that self-deception is the most deceptive of all deception. Because we don't know that we've been deceived. Why? Because we think we're right. Because we're blind to the truth. So what God does in that way he judges us is that he reveals to you and I the truth. Well, if he just stopped there, then he would be a very cruel God. Right? That's sort of like hanging out some kind of goal for your life, and then never really giving you a way to get there. So he says, okay, here's the truth about things in your life. And then what he does, he points out my distance from that truth. What does that mean, Mark? What that means is this, that the journey to truth always starts with an understanding of who we are and where we are. That's where you have to, if you're going to journey to the truth, then you have to understand who you are and where you are in this life. Yes, because if you're lying to yourself about who you are and where you are today, then you lack a reference point in your life to start the journey to truth. You have to understand who you are. 
that you're broken, that you're a sinner, that you have this propensity to sin, that you mess up at times in your life. In fact, you mess up a lot of times within your life. And it starts exactly with knowing where we are and who we are. And that gives us a reference point to start this journey to truth. Yes. And the first thing you think, well, I have a lot of work to do, you know. Here's the truth. Over here, here's where I am over here. Man, there's a distance in that between where I am and who I am and the truth that God has revealed to me. So I better get to work and simply make up this distance. And that's where we're wrong. Yeah. That's where we struggle. Because last week we discovered when Jesus has this encounter with this woman caught in adultery, that what he does, he reestablishes righteousness. That righteousness is not about just keeping a set of rules for our lives. It's, it, and, and because if that's what it's about, then we're going to convince that we're okay just because we're keeping all the rules. Or we're always going to convince ourselves that we're better than the person next to us because we're keeping more rules than they're keeping. Yes. And that's the way we live our lives. And if I can just be better than the next person or, or the person around me, then I'm okay in life and everything is good. Yes, if I'm better than the person sitting next to me, then I'm okay in life. Yes. Do, you, do you have any idea what the person sitting next to you has done in life? Do you have any idea? Right? You have no idea who you're sitting next to. If I could have you to turn to them, which you already greet each other, but I'm not going to do this. And, and, and you were to ask him, what, what's the most deviant thing that you've ever done in this life? And we could have an honest moment that you probably might get your Bible or your purse or whatever and move somewhere else, right? Yes. I didn't know I was sitting next to this kind of individual. They don't know they're sitting next to you either and what you've done in life. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm going to reestablish what righteousness looks like in your life. And so I reestablish it based upon a foundation of grace. So I find that God reveals the truth to me. I find that I'm over here distant from the truth. And the first thing I think is I got to make up that distance between that. And what I realize is this, that God walks the dirt path of sanctification with me. He walks that with me. That is simply based upon grace within my life and not things that I can do. No. And at times he carries me. Yes, he carries me that distance. And there are times that he drags me through that distance. Absolutely. Why? Can I tell you why? And this goes so well as we get into chapter 10 in a moment. It's because we're sheep. Is exactly what we are. We're sheep. And sheep don't always get it. They don't. You say, Mark, why are you calling a sheep? Well, it wasn't my idea to call you sheep. It's Jesus's idea. If you have a problem with that, then you take that up with him, really. It's, it's not. But yes, as we get into chapter 10, we're going to realize that that's what he refers to us as. So Jesus's judging in our life is founded on the reality of who we are because he knows us. Many knows everything about us. So it's founded on the reality of who we are. And we're blinded. Oh, you can come to church for years and be blind to who you are. And who and how God works in your life. Yes. Because these are the Pharisees, man. They're the theologians. They're the, they're the ones that study the law. They know all of those kinds of things. But yet they're extremely blind as to who they are and how God works and who God works. And, and, and who God works through and who, how God works within their life. And so what I realize is this, that it's not condemnation. I have to leave, when I, before I leave this, I have to tell you this. Because here is the thing that to condemn is to address our failures apart from grace and hope. And that's not what God is doing. And so as these neighbors with this blind man and these Pharisees, what I realize is this, that they're blind. They're blind to the truth. And you say, oh, you know, I'm so glad I'm not like them, you know, right? I'm so glad I'm not like the Pharisees in my life. I, I'm so glad. Can I tell you for a moment, remove your halo, put back on your humanity for just a moment, okay? And to realize this, and I love you, but I say this to you. Some of you sitting in this very room are blind. You're blind. Well, Mark, I, I, I didn't come here for you. No, no, listen. I have to say the truth. There's been times in my life that I'm blinded to who God is and how God is working within my life. I, I'm absolutely, you know, just wearing blinders to how 
to how those things are working within my life. And some of you are absolutely blind. You're blinded to who you are. You're blinded to where you are in life and what you're doing. You simply are gauging how right you are by simply being better than someone else within your life. You're blinded to who God is and how he works within your life. Listen, it wouldn't be a day with me without me quoting C.S. Lewis, right? So I have to quote him. And I've quoted this probably this thing from him for years. And it says, Jesus claims... Jesus' claims make him either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Yes. And so you can't remain indifferent. Man, you have to, he has to be one of those. You have to make a decision about that, that he has to be one of those. Yes. You have to face who he is, and you have to face who you are this morning and where you are. And that is all covered in the grace of God, that he knows us inside and out, inside and out. And he doesn't just leave us hanging here, but he helps us to understand this. He helps us to understand this. Why? He opens our eyes because we're blind, because the reality is that we are dumb sheep. And, and so you say, Mark, now you've called us blind. You've called us dumb sheep. I appreciate the, the insults. No, listen, look at chapter 10, verse 1. Here's what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him... The gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, and when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, I stop there for a moment and say that because that kind of throws us for a moment. Because we sometimes devalue things when we say something like, well, this is just a figure of speech. No, this is a sign that Jesus is showing us. He's saying this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Because why? Because they're blind. What is chapter 10? Let me tell you what chapter 10 is. Chapter 10 is spit and dirt for you and I. Is exactly what it is. Yes. It is spit and dirt for you and I. It opens our eyes to who Jesus is and how he works within our lives. And through knowing who Jesus is, we have this greater understanding of the heart of the Father. So here's a couple of thoughts this morning as we venture through chapter 10. The first is this, hearing and following. Hearing and following. Well, to understand the story, this illustration that Jesus gives us to help us understand, to remove the blindness from our eyes, man, we have to know the characters here. So there's a couple of characters that we need to understand. The first is that sheep. He talks about sheep. Well, who is that? That's us. Yes. And, and you know, when we think of sheep, oh, they're cuddly and cute, right? That, oh, I love a sheep. You know, they're, they're like squeezable. It's like your child's little plush animal they have at home. And so that's sheep. And, oh, I'm glad I'm a sheep. Can I tell you, sheep are absolutely dumb creatures. Did you know that? They are. Yes, well, thank you, Mark. Yeah, I know. They're vulnerable to attack because they never see danger. Wolves can roam right in the middle of the flock, and all they're concerned about is grazing. That's it. Yes. They'll eat all the grass from the hillside. They'll stand in their own excrement, and they'll starve to death unless the shepherd leads them to greener pastures. That's who we are. (laughs) I thought about that. Really? This is, this is who we are, yes. That we're so oblivious to danger around us because we're so focused on that thing that satisfies us in life or temporarily satisfies us, yes. I don't know about standing in your own excrement. I don't know about that now. That's up to you. I mean, I, I'm not sure about that whole thing, but yet we know that that's what sheep will do and they will starve themselves to death unless they are led to someplace where they can find fresh grass and for them to eat. So it's a very powerful picture of who you and I are. But then there are thieves and robbers, it talks about. Those that are intent on harming the flock, he talks about. And, and they're revealed by their, their ability to infiltrate the flock, that they don't come through the door. They don't come by the shepherd or the gatekeeper. They simply climb over the barrier. And, and, and so they don't come the way that the shepherd comes. And so when we look at those thieves and robbers, what is that? What does that mean? Well, We know in context, this talks about false teachers and false doctrine. And I thought, well, how does that really apply to us? 
And I begin to realize what this means. It's, it's, it's our ideas of God. It's how you and I frame God. It's how we think God should be. Because so many times that we try to remake God in our own image. That God would never do that. That God would, God would respond like I think he should respond. And I don't understand why God would allow this to happen in my life. That's exactly what he's talking about. And, and I wrote in my journal this week that if you don't recognize and yield to the sovereignty and the providence of God, then what you're doing in life is you're robbing yourself of great joy and peace is what you're doing. So then there's the shepherd. In fact, we realize that it refers to a couple of shepherds, but it focuses that on the one shepherd, the good shepherd. And we know that is Jesus, that he's that he's recognized as the one who sleeps at the entrance of the pen and, and, and the summer pastor of the sheep, we realize that he's the good shepherd, that they know his voice. If you're in, and what I, when I read this, what I realize is this, that he's so different than the thieves and the robbers that he comes through the, to the sheepfold the very right way and very open in front of everyone. And so his sheep know his voice when he approaches the pen. And so when I begin to read through this, I had to go back to verse 4. Because what it says is this, that when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know, they know his voice. And when, and when I read that, I thought, oh, this is a powerful correlation. This takes us back to the blind man in chapter 9 and verse 35. It takes us back to him because what God does, he finds us exactly where we are in life. He finds us exactly where we are in life and he speaks words of life and we understand and we hear his voice. He's shining some powerful light back on chapter 9 for us because God, Jesus finds this blind man and what does he do? He reveals himself to him. He knows his voice. He leads him into a greater pasture and that is life eternal but he, and he knows Jesus, the good shepherd. It's a powerful thing. So what this comes down to practically for you and I is this, hearing and following. So, can I ask you a question? Thank you. I appreciate the great response for that. Yes. So, here's the question. Yeah. Who has your ear in life? Who has your ear in life? Well, Mark, that's a figure of speech. I know. Jesus used one. I figure I can use one, right? Yes. He, he talks to us about being sheep. So, I ask you a question. Then, who has, who has your ear in life? Yes. What's the voice in your life that's drowning out all other voices? Because when you read this text, what I realize is, is that these sheep are known here by who they know, by the voice that they hear in life. So who has your ear? Because whoever has your ear in life, that's who and what you're following. Whoever has your ear in life, that's who and that's what you are following. Whether it's something or whether it's someone that's who you're following in life. And I know us that we are sheep. And it's not always the good shepherd. Let's be really honest about that. It's not always the good shepherd that has that overcoming and overwhelming voice within our lives. Because when we see this text, we realize that this sovereign call of God in our lives, that it, it, it simply requires a human response. And when God speaks to us and we know his voice, then our response is that we hear, we know the voice of God, and then we follow, we become obedient. Yes, here's what happens. The shepherd shows up. He has a sound or he has a word or something that he makes. The sheep know his voice. They know his voice because they know that he is the good shepherd. They know his character. They know he provides for them. They know that he's for them and not against them. And because they know his voice, they know who he is, then they follow out of obedience to him. Because they know that he's always going to lead to better pasture. So who are you listening to? That's a thought, isn't it? Who are you listening to in life? Who has your ear this morning? Is it God? Let's, let's be honest, okay? This is church. I'm not going to ask you a question. I'm not going to take a survey. You raise your hand. We're not going to do that. We're going to write something out in a moment in, in, in one of our next talking points. But, but I really want you to give this some thought that who has your ear this morning? Who are you listening to? Who's driving and leading your life today? Yes, we say, well, Mark, maybe it's, it's my job or it's my boss, so what do you want me to do? You want me to send him an email and quit this afternoon? No, don't do that. No, I don't want you to do that because 
you you know, you're going to have to have some money to eat on next week. I want to say that to you. But I want to say to you, who is ultimately having the ear of your life? Who is speaking to you? Because sometimes it's our own desires. It's our own desire for pleasures within our life. That's what it is. Maybe it's a relationship. And man, you are bending. You are bending integrity. and, And you are bending your morality. You are bending. You know what God wants you to do in life. You're bending it to try to make this relationship work out in your life. And I want to tell you, if you're trying that hard to make something work out, have you ever thought that this may not be God's best for you? So who or what are you listening to? Because I guarantee you this, because I read this in this text, that whatever you are giving an ear to, that is who you are following in life. That's who you're following in life. Such a powerful message that God gives us very practically from, from this text. And, and, and so then we go on in verse 7, and here's what it says. So Jesus again said to them, so Jesus is going to kind of reframe all this for us for a moment. Why? Because sheep are hard-headed. We don't always see what is right in front of our face. So he says, let me tell it to you maybe a little different way and spin it a little different, different because this is grace and patience from God. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Not a door, but I am the door of the sheep. All who come or all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, he says, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and he will find pasture. So the second thought is this, that, that he's more than just a gate, but Jesus is the gate. Now, let me give you a little background, not to just, you know, kind of lose you in all of this, but there are two settings with sheeps here. Sheep here. The first chapter of verses 1 through 6 is different than 7 through 10. You say, Mark, thank you very much. We've always wanted to know this, you know. This is, we've been waiting on pins and needles to understand this. 1 through 6 is this, is this very, um, a very urban environment in which sheep are kept. I, I, I read up on this. I'm not a shepherd. I don't have any sheep at home. I have Coco the Shih Tzu, and she lives in our house, and she's far from being a sheep. She really is. Yes. And she smells like one sometimes, probably, but yet she is. And, and, and so, you know, I, I, so I read about this. And so the thing is this, that in 1 through 6, this is the urban environment. And what would happen is that when, during the wintertime, they would bring the sheep back to the town where they lived. They had a courtyard, most everyone in their homes, and they would put their sheep in a courtyard. And so what happens is they would have a common courtyard that they would bring all their sheep together and then each night they would alternate from house to house. And so they would take all their sheep to one courtyard. And then there would be a gatekeeper there. And so what happens is when the shepherd approaches, that he would speak a word or he would call out. And then all the sheep that were belonged to his would file out and they would follow him. And the other ones would not follow because to them he was a stranger. Interesting thought, isn't it? But here in verses 7 through 10, this is the rule environment. This is the summer pasture. They would take them out to pasture to graze. And then what would happen is this. At night, they would corral them with this, with this wall of rocks and put thorns on top of them. And that was to simply keep out, keep out the wolves and keep out the other people who were not supposed to be part of the flock. And also, also it would keep the sheep in because sheep tend to wander. Yeah, they do. I know that doesn't apply to any of you in this room that you've never wondered. I realize that. That's all of those that didn't come this morning or those that will come to second service. I understand that, but it does. And so there are two different environments. And so what is so powerful about this second environment of 7 through 10 is this, that what happens here is that that Jesus is the one, the good shepherd is the one who sleeps across the opening to the corral of rocks and thorns, that simply he is the ultimate protector. And we, and we love that idea about Jesus. We really do, that he's the protector, that we know that he lays down his life for the sheep. We'll read that in just a moment. But what we also realize is this, that not only is he a protector by laying across that of the entrance to the corral, if you want to call it that, or pen, but yet he's also a passageway. And that's the part that really stuck with me this week that he's a passageway because he says there in verse 9 he says that they go in and out and they find pasture and I thought that's kind of interesting that he would say that and so I began to research this 
and it took me to the book of Psalms. Psalms talks a lot about flocks and sheep and all those kinds of things. And Psalm 121 in verse 8 says, The Lord will keep you, uh, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And I thought, well, what does all of that mean? Because I think it's very easy to miss the truth in this text that not only is he a protector of our lives, not only is he a protector of our lives, but he's also the passageway to all of life. Now listen. That we live all of life in and through his presence, that he leads us into better pastures. That the good shepherd, and, and I have to dispel this thought about uh, or this thought we have with God sometimes I think is that this good shepherd this incarnate Christ he didn't come he didn't come just to bring us more rules understand that that he didn't show up in this world just to drain us from all the joy that we might have in this life he came that we might have life understand that that we go in and out and we live life in his very presence understand how God works in our lives that God is glorified in all the areas of our life in everything that we do in every moment of our life that we have this freedom that the good shepherd gives us to live in his presence. That means that I don't live my life compartmentalized. I don't. That doesn't mean that I have the God part of my life and then I have the personal part of my life. And I don't mix the God part of my life in the personal part of my life because that makes me really uncomfortable because that means I have to kind of live by a certain set of standards if I do that. And I'm not going to do that. And I think what we find in our lives is this, that you many times have two compartments in your life. You have that of the God compartment and you're living in that right now because you're at church, right? Yes, you're here, you look churchy, man, you look godly, you may have brought your Bible, if not, you brought your phone and you have a Bible app on it. Some of you have three Bible apps on there, right? Yes, and, and, you, and you're living in that compartment, but when you leave here, you tend to move back in the compartment of a personal life. And what this is all about is this, that you and I begin freedom, we begin, we've been given freedom by the Good Shepherd to live in the presence of God in all areas of our life, in and out of that of the pen. It's a thought. And it's not by this begrudging servitude that I, I follow God, but, but the good shepherd. But I know that he's the good shepherd. I know that he always leads me into the pasture that is best for my life. So I trust him. That we are free to go in and out, but it's always in the presence of the shepherd. That we're hearing his voice. We're following his voice because we trust him and what God has done. He's painted this elaborate picture of this gospel relationship that you and I have with him. So here is the question for you this morning in a very practical aspect. What about those things in your life or that relationship in your life this morning that doesn't bear witness to Jesus? Oh, Mark, don't, don't, don't answer those things or ask those things, right? You can call me a sheep that stands in his own excrement. You know, I don't know if you, excrement's poop. I didn't know if you know that or not, right? Right, let's just throw that out there so that you're aware of that. And I, I'm not insulting your intelligence, but, you know, maybe that's a better word to use. But yet, what about those things or relationships in your life that, that are not bearing witness to Christ? Those places that you're living that you're not making him known. Can I, can I talk with you honest for a moment? And it's this, they're like, they're like thieves and robbers in our life. Why? Because they take away and they never add to. Understand that. Yes. And, and all of a sudden your mind goes to, well, it's this person in my life and I've always known they're a loser, so I need to get them out of my life. And we kind of start there with everybody else. I think this understanding of this, of living in this relationship with God in all areas of our life and then looking at the places that are not bringing God glory in my life, it has to start with me. It has to start with me. This evaluation of life has to, start with, has to start with me. Am I following Christ and I'm allowing him to lead me in every area of my life? So let's do something for a moment. You say, Mark, this makes us nervous when you say those words. I know, but hang on. You're not gonna have to say anything out loud. But if you, if you have a pen with you, I want you to write something in your notes. You can write in your Bible. It's okay. If you have your device, then you can go to notes or, or you, can, you can just put this in there. But here's what I want us to do. For a moment in church, this could be unusual. Get ready. For a moment in church, let's have a moment of honesty. Okay? And with your pen or on your device, write one area of your life 
that you are leading and Christ is not. Do that for a moment, would you? Just one area of your life that you are leading and Christ is not. Can I, can I give you some suggestions? Because I know that you're stumped. Because I know that, that you know, there, there are many halos in the room. I understand that. And you're struggling to find that area. Yeah. So maybe it's a relationship that you choose not to forgive. Well, Christ is not leading in that. You're leading in that, right? Yes. So maybe that's it. An area in your life that you're leading that Christ is not. Because I think that this is a day that we surrender that to him. That we take this moment to list that one thing and we're honest about that because what we realize when we talk about God judging our lives is that that he shows us truth, that he is the good shepherd and that we hear his voice, yes, that we realize the distance we are from the truth and then he walks us through grace and mercy to that of the truth and, and, and there's change and that's, that's growth, that's sanctification within our lives. So we have to start with really where we are and who we are. It's important that we're honest about who we are. What is that area of your life that you've not surrendered to God, that you are leading and you've not allowed him to lead in that area? Because I think if you put that down, it gives you a starting point. It gives you a reference point this morning to begin that journey. You see, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. You do all to the glory of God. John 10 and 10, we continue. It says this, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that you might have life and to have it more abundantly. And what this does, what this does when he says we go in and out, this addresses life. This is address the fullness of life. When we read that text, we think, oh man, that means that I get everything I want in life and God provides everything like God is some cosmic Santa Claus and, and he provides everything in life. And that's not what that means at all. If you read it in context, what that means, it talks about the very essence of life, the freedom that you and I have to live in the presence of God, the good shepherd, whether we're in the pen or whether we're out, whether we're at work or home or here or we're somewhere else, whether we're on a recreational outing or yet whether we're doing something else. We live daily in the presence of God and we make him known through our lives. And whatever we do, we do all to his glory. It's a freedom that you and I have to live our lives in his presence. But that freedom is costly. Understand that. And you can't leave here without this last thought this morning. That freedom is costly. Because the shepherd serves the sheep by providing this way of life for them. This freedom to live. This freedom to live in the presence of God wherever we are in all aspects of our life. But the cost of that was his very life. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so a good shepherd does more than just risk his life, but he lays down his life. It's more than a martyr because a mar- and you can't look at Jesus as being a martyr. You can't because a martyr inspires. Yes, he brings change within our lives at times. He brings us a moment of reflection, but the death of the good shepherd brings life. It brings absolute life to us. It's a passageway to life. It brings the beauty of God himself because since God is love, understand that. That when the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, it's the greatest expression of the heart of God to you and I that Jesus would die for us. 1 John 3 and 16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The greatest revealing, I believe, of the love of God is this, of the character and the nature of God, is that he laid down his life for us. And it's the basis for the freedom that you and I have to live out his glory in every aspect of our life. But it goes on to say, here's how this works out practically. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does, God lo- how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. For it's one thing for me to say that I'm a follower of Christ. And it's one thing for me to say that I'm part of his flock. Yes, I can say that easily. Yes, I can. But if I am not 
hearing his word, if I'm not recognizing his voice, if I'm not following him, then can I tell you that I'm not in that flock? Understand that. Those, that is what it means to walk with Christ. If I'm not coming and going and living every day of my life, and that's messy and that's inconsistent and it's covered by grace. But what I realize is I'm revealing God's glory through my life and every moment and everything that I do to the very best of my ability and that of the grace of God in my life. That the beauty of God, the beauty of God is seen in that of the giving of the Savior, that of the good shepherd. That's the, that's the beauty of God. And you and I, our spirit and our flesh, we're drawn to beauty. There's no doubt about that. And so what I realized when I begin to read this, that we're drawn to him, his loving kindness, because the greatest, the greatest revealing of God's loving kindness is that of his son dying on the cross for you and I. And that is what the thieves and the robbers want you to be to remain blind to. They want you to do it your way. They, they, they want you to try to make it happen just because you're good enough and you're smart enough and you can make these things happen. And what it says simply is this. No, the, the, greatest, the greatest opportunity that we have to see how beautiful and how powerful, how majestic and how gracious and loving God is that we look upon the cross because that's the greatest example of God's love for humankind. Verse 12 says this, and we're almost finished. It says this, if it were not enough that he says that the good shepherd lays down his life, he says that he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and lays the sheep and flee and, and leaves the sheep and flees and, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And, and I begin to read that and, 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 and I, 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 I look at, what God has, and I use the word investment very loosely, so understand that because I couldn't really think of something else. And, and I realized that God has this major investment in our life and your life. And, and so well, if he does, then he expects a return. Well, don't judge God by human standards. We already understand that from the book of John because his expectation of you and I is simply realized in his life through us. Understand that. So his heart and the life of his son is given to you and I freely. He's the agent of, cre- of the creative order so that, that you are God's on so many levels this morning. And, God, and because of that, he never leaves his post in our life. He never leaves that place in our life of a, our protector and that passage to life uh, abundantly. He never removes his hand in our lives. Even when things are not going well, he never removes his hand in our life. Never. But some of you are sitting here and you were thinking, and, and I began to think about this, well, well, who's the wolf in my life? You know, who, who are those things in my life that are trying to pull me away from God? And, and what I realize is this, if I will just focus on his voice, if I will just know him, if I will just follow him in, in life, that I have a clearer picture of who those wolves are within my life. And if I really want to know who they are in my life, I have to be ready because sometimes I am the biggest wolf in my life. I am my greatest enemy. I find devi- myself devouring myself with doubt and fear and, and constant worry and distrust that God is not for me and God is somehow against me. And what I realize is this, that it has to start with me. I'm looking for everyone else that's trying to do harm to me. And it has to start within, within me. So he says in verse 14, and I finish with these verses, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. That is, that is the church, the body of Christ. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father that the Father knows. Listen, the Father knows the Son. The Son knows the Father. It says that very explicitly and that of the, the Son knows you and I and we know the Son. So this model of the father-son relationship is the model of the relationship that Jesus desires to have with you and I to know him in his death and his resurrection. It's not simply to have information about him. 
It's more than that. It's far more than that. But yet it is this image of intimacy cast in love. So I thought, how, how does this look for my life as we, as we just tie all this together? How does this look for my life? And I, and I read this somewhere in a devotional some time ago, and it says this, that we live as a son or daughter, but we love like a servant. And I thought that was something that was really so powerful to me, that we live as a son or a daughter, and we love like a servant. That's the freedom that God has afforded you and I in this life. It's about Jesus shaping us within our life. It's not about us just coming and absorbing every week some kind of information about God. No, but we live this out, that we live this life out as a son or a daughter, and we love others like a servant in the very sphere of our influence in life. I found this text in 2 Corinthians 10 and 13. And and you can read the, the rest of them because I gave you the reference all the way through 18, but I read that just 13. It says, but... We will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For years, I've, I've, I've read this illustration of the Good Shepherd and this focus of the Good Shepherd has always been about how he protects sheep to me and, 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 and really that's been a huge part of it in my life growing up in church. I always have this image of the good shepherd sleeping across the entrance to the summer pasture. And those are so, such powerful parts of all of this. But as I was studying this over the past couple of weeks, that part where it says that we go in and out of pasture begin to really resonate with me that this is truly about how I live my life in the presence of God and, and that of understanding he's laid his life down for me. It's, it's how I live this out. That I can't have a, a church life or a God life and, a, and, a, and my own physical life that that's not the way that God created me to live in some state of spiritual schizophrenia that somehow there's two of me but this understanding of who he is permeates every every moment of my life every moment of my life I always hate to look at that clock because I'm out of time. And some of you say, well, we're glad you're out of time, you know, kind of deal. But I, I just do be. Take, take 10. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, somebody says five. <laughs> Listen, it's. Week after next, we celebrate our 13th year anniversary. And that's exciting. And I remember that. Over a little over 13 years ago, in those months that Reba and I agonized over coming to Anderson and Hope Fellowship, that I said to God, when God opened this door, I said to God that I was absolutely tired of church. Yeah. Now, let's be honest for a moment. By the raising of your hand. How many have ever just felt like that you're tired of church? Raise your hand. Put, put your hand up. I'm not looking at you. Okay, my eyes are closed. I was just tired of just doing church. But I was never tired of doing life in the presence of God. And so as I've had this opportunity to go through this text again, man, I celebrate what God put in our hearts 13 years ago. 
And that is church is not a building and it's not just us gathering together for corporate worship. And those things are important, absolutely. And I don't devalue them at all. But yet church is about me taking the beauty of Christ that he is the good shepherd that lays down his life for me and simply living that out in every moment of my life and making him known to all those around me. I don't want to just do this Sunday morning thing anymore and then just go out and go home and and you kind of live my life on my own and not really give God a whole lot of thought, maybe a morning devotion here and there, but not give God a whole lot of thought throughout this week and until maybe I come back next time. Mark, you're the pastor. You have to be here. I know. I understand that, right? But I want more than that. That's exactly what he means in John 10 and 10. The thief has come to steal, kill, and to destroy What he's come to do is to blind you to the fullness that God wants you to live in, in his glory. That's exactly what this is about. But he says that I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. That abundant life is simply me living out the glory of God, the beauty of what Christ has done in my life every moment of every day as best I can. In the sphere of my influence, Paul says. I think we've misunderstood our our freedom in Christ. I really think we have misunderstood that. God has given us freedom to simply go and live our lives to make him known. I wrote this in my journal this week. It's a freedom to surrender our freedom to no longer live life for ourselves. This is... Monday is Martin Luther King Day, and and I, I couldn't leave without leaving you a quote from Dr. King. And this hit me so powerfully this week. It says, oh, he says, quote, oh, the worst of all tragedies is not to die young, but to live until 75 and yet never truly to have lived. Abundant life is living out the glory of God in every moment of my life. To hear Him, to know Him, and to follow Him. So for a moment, would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank You for Your your Word this morning. It's powerful and it's true. I thank You for speaking to us, God. I thank You, Lord, for being the good shepherd in our lives for you lay down your life for us the sheep that wander the sheep that make terrible decisions in life the sheep that simply has to always be led to better pasture that you lay down your life for us that you've given us freedom to come in and go out so that we would live our lives for your glory So God, let that begin today in our lives. To hear your voice, to know you because we know that you are for us and not against us. And to follow you, trusting you, that you always lead us to the right pasture for our lives. So thank you, Father, for the freedom, for the freedom that we have found in you today. celebrate that so father may we take that area of our lives that we wrote this morning that we're leading and you're not and we surrender that to you and we hear your voice and we follow in your name we pray amen would you stand with us please this morning